three and a half years ago, I found myself in a season of exhaustion. Man, I love every bit of the work I get to do here at Parkview. I love, love, love pastoring at this church. I love taking care of my two little kids. I love being married to the husband that God has given me. I've been doing a lot of giving, and I was exhausted. And I found myself one night thinking about some of the words that had challenged me in the writing of Ruth Haley Barton in books like Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership and An Invitation to Solitude and Silence and also this book, Sacred Rhythms. And when I asked myself the question that Ruth asked in one of her books, how is it with your soul, I had to be honest. And things weren't so good with my soul. So I applied to be a part of a transforming community, which is a journey of pastors and lay leaders and nonprofit leaders from across the country to essentially be pastored and to focus on their own spiritual well-being for a period of 27 months. So for the past 27 months, I have been on a journey that has been absolutely transformational and life-changing. And that has been led by prolific writer, sought-after speaker, spiritual director, pastor of pastors, someone who has become a role model in my own life, and someone who she and her team walked with me into some of the darkest places of my own soul. So Parkview family, will you please welcome with me today's guest teacher, Dr. Ruth Haley Barton. Oh, it's good to be with you today. One of my favorite things to do is to come into the communities where people who have been in community with us, pastors and leaders who have come to us, when they invite me in to be a part of their life in community, as often as I can, I say yes, because I feel like a deeper work of God happens as we are in long-term relationships. And so, Kim, it's such a pleasure to be here in your community, and it's been such a pleasure to have you in ours. So I'm wearing my jean jacket today in honor of the DuPage County Fair. Anybody go to the fair this weekend? It's been a gorgeous day, but not many of you have done that. Um, but we are blessed to be uh, in a community here in Illinois that honors our farmers and things like that. So I'm honoring them today with my jean jacket. Um, as we enter into our time together today, I want to invite you to, uh, to think about a question. I'm going to ask you a challenging question. And I hope that you can sit with it for a while and not run from it. And the question is this. How is it um, with your own soul? How is it with your own longing? When was the last time you allowed yourself to touch your soul? and your longing within. When was the last time you felt your longing for more of God than you have right now? When was the last time you felt your longing for deeper levels of transformation than you've experienced up to this point? When was the time, the last time you allowed yourself to feel your longing for a way of life that works? I think one of the greatest, deepest longings that many of us have in our culture these days is for a way of life that works in the midst of the busyness and the chaos and the technology and the pressure that we feel uh, on all sorts of fronts. The longing for a way of life that works. The longing for unconditional love in a society where love is often so conditional. When was the last time you felt it? 
Well, I've been a Christian for a long time, since, since I was four years old to be exact, and I think I had the idea that at some point I would stop feeling longing. You know, that God would meet all my longings and all my desires and I wouldn't have to feel longing anymore. And I have been surprised in my own journey at the power of longing in my life still. When it stirs, how powerful it is when it does stir, and how it can continue to propel me on the spiritual journey if I'm willing to pay attention to it. There are times when my longings are fairly predictable, times when I'm away and I'm missing my family and I just long to be home. Uh, times around holidays when you long to create experiences for your family that are meaningful and full of love and substance. Maybe even it's sitting at the end of a movie, you know, where maybe the hero or the heroine in the movie has accomplished something through great courage and great integrity and you have this longing to be that kind of person yourself. Or maybe it's a story of a great love and the, the longing for love stirs. And so those are kind of predictable moments for me when longing stirs, but there are also moments when longing almost ambushes me, and I'm surprised at the power of it, and I have to stop and pay attention. I remember one time when our middle daughter, Bethany, was 15 years old. She was a freshman in high school. Hers was a September birthday, which meant that it was the first kind of big event for the freshmen, you know, that somebody might call together. And I remember Bethany only wanting one thing for her birthday, and that was to have a birthday party with 75 of her closest friends. Maybe some of you have been in this kind of situation. And so because she wanted it so badly, our family decided that we would rally. Now, I did help her to whittle down the guest list to 50. But still, it was a daunting idea to think about hosting 50 squirrely freshmen at our house for a birthday party. But we did it. Our oldest daughter, Charity, who was a senior at the time, rallied her friends to uh, lead a karaoke contest. My husband, Chris, was paroling the property to make sure that unwanted substances didn't come and go. You have to be wise about these things, right? Um, our youngest daughter, Haley, who was 10 at the time, just tried to stay out of the way because it was a pretty big group, and I was in charge of the food. And so as I was serving hamburgers and hot dogs, the kids were very nice, they were very grateful and well-behaved, but there was this one young man whose expression of gratitude was so unguarded and sweet that everything in me stood at attention. He said, thank you, Mrs. Barton, this is so much fun, and I stopped mid-catch-up or something like that, and I looked him in the eyes and I said, well, you're welcome. We really enjoy having you. And he said, really? As though he was completely unaccustomed to being enjoyed. And it was at that moment that I sort of stood at attention and realized, this is my life. This is the life that God has given me. And it's a pleasure and a privilege to be in this life. But it was later on in the evening that my longing ambushed me. We were sitting around in our family room, sort of reminiscing about the evening, talking about who had rhythm and who didn't, and talking about the gifts that Bethany received, and just the fun that we had all had together. And it was in that moment that my longing ambushed me, because I was aware of the fact that on this particular night, doesn't happen all the time, but on this particular night, I was fully present with my best self in the life that God had given me. And the longing that ambushed me came up sort of like a prayer. It was very inarticulate, but this is sort of what it sounded like. It was, oh God, give me more moments like this. Give me more moments when I am fully present to you and to others in love in the middle of the life that you've given me. Because I have a life that takes me lots of different places, and I could be very drawn to those things, and I am. But on this particular night, I felt um, such a longing to be present in my simple, normal life 
with the very best self that God was cultivating within me. And I remember feeling and saying to God, I have so many good gifts in my life, but I want more of this. I want more of this kind of moment where I am fully present in the life that you've given me. That desire has carried me. It's never left me, and it helps me in my decision-making even now to really stay in touch with what I most want and to say yes and to say no in ways that are consistent with what my heart really wants. I remember another time when we were approaching a birthday and we had planned a party in the backyard, lots of people being invited, and I realized as we got close to the party that as an introvert, a party where we were all standing around with a Coke in our hand having superficial conversation was just not what I really wanted. And I realized that what I did really want was to be with those that I'm closest to and to have a chance to tell them what they mean to me, to feel that I mean something to them, and to have meaningful connections throughout the day. So we actually canceled the party, and I had those kinds of connections with the people I loved throughout my birthday day. My desire helped me to make good choices uh, about the expenditure of time. And then there was another time that was quite a bit deeper than that, and that was a time when I had experienced a betrayal in my life. And all of us who are human beings experience times when other human beings let us down, right? And we let other people down as well, and it hurts, and it takes us by surprise, and sometimes we can't believe that these things have even happened to us. But I remember that after this particular betrayal, and it was significant, I remember feeling all the anger that one feels, but then at one point realizing that I had become hardened, I'd become self-protective, I'd become a little bit paranoid and suspicious that this open-hearted, loving self that I typically like to be was no longer on the planet, you know, that I'd become so broken that I was walking through life in ways that are fundamentally different than the kind of person that I wanted to be and that I believe God has created me to be. And it was in that moment that I realized that, yes, the person who had betrayed me needed to take responsibility for whatever their part in it was, but the only thing I could take responsibility for was the fact that I did not want to spend the rest of my life hardened and suspicious and self-protective and unwilling to love. And I realized that that was mine to take responsibility for. And as I became more deeply aware of my own longing and desire for healing and transformation in that place, a great prayer of the scripture, it's actually what we call the Jesus prayer in our tradition, uh, that prayer that sinners and beggars have used throughout the New Testament to cry out to God, that prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner, began to pray itself in my heart and in my life. I don't think I was even fully aware of that prayer until I really needed it, and it started to just pray itself in me. And that prayer represented a deep longing of my heart. It represented the longing to be healed. It represented the longing to be transformed in Jesus' presence. And it also represented my understanding that what most needed to be done in my life, only God could do. That I was literally casting myself on Jesus' mercy as I looked at my life and the way that I was existing at the time. And it was an opening to a process of transformation that God was very faithful to enter into with me and to meet me in that place. And so again, I ask you today, when was the last time you felt it? I've told you a little bit about times when I have felt my longing, but when was the last time you let yourself feel your longing? Now, I know it's hard. I know that we want to rush past this question and believe that maybe there's some other question we should be paying attention to that's more important. But the truth is, this is one of the most important questions of the spiritual life. 
It's important because it takes us right down to what's most important to us. It, it takes us through all of our self-sufficiencies and all the ways in which we think we can fix ourselves and do it for ourselves. And it takes us to that place where we too must cast ourselves on God's mercy. So when was the last time you sensed your own desire and need for spiritual transformation? When was the last time you were able to say, you know what, I know a lot about God, I'm a Christian, but I don't feel passion, I don't have any sense of real connection? When was the last time you just owned that and said, this is true for me right now? When was the last time that you allowed yourself to go to that tender place where you realized that it's been a long time since you've really experienced unconditional love and you long for it like all of us as human beings do? I think this question be, can be kind of scary for us because, number one, it feels kind of dangerous, you know? Isn't there something else? I mean, you know, our desires are, they're dangerous. They're shot through with self-deception. You know, the human heart is wicked above all things, right? So it's scary to pay attention to something that feels as volatile and unpredictable as desire. Or maybe if we're a certain type of personality, we think, well, I should be thinking about how I should serve others. I should be thinking about their desires. Why am I spending time thinking about mine? Isn't there something more selfless that I should be doing? We might even be afraid that if we pay attention to desire that we don't know what to do with ourselves if our desires can't be met. What if I open my deepest desires up to God and I discover that they cannot be met? How will I live with myself then? How will I live with myself with my desires out there and awake rather than just repressed and asleep? Well, these are some of the deep questions of the human existence. And I was uncomfortable too when I began to understand that I needed to pay attention to what was stirring and that maybe God could use that. And I remember being highly comforted by the fact that Jesus in the New Testament often asked people to get in touch with their desire. In fact, when he wanted to facilitate a more deeply spiritual conversation and help people take a next step on the spiritual journey, he would often ask them to get in touch with their desire. He would give some version of the question, what do you want? What are you seeking? What is it that you want me to do for you? Sometimes he would even blow past that question and say, how bad do you really want it? If you want it, take up your mat and walk, right? And so Jesus would use this question as impetus for a deeper kind of conversation. The story that I want to focus on today is found in Mark 10, where Jesus and a blind man have an encounter together that's deeply healing for him. It's a story that's very familiar. The blind man is sitting by the, by the roadside on the way to Jericho. And somehow, in this story, he has a way of knowing that Jesus is going to pass by on that day. I don't know if Jesus published an itinerary or what, but somehow he knew. And he knew that this was a day of spiritual possibility for him. That there's something that he had wanted for a long time. He had maybe tried doctors. Maybe he had tried healers. Maybe he had tried his own human effort. But nothing had changed. And now there was this possibility that maybe Jesus could do something for him that he could not do for himself. And so he had a problem because it was a noisy corner. You know, a beggar doesn't beg on a corner that's really quiet, and a beggar begs on a corner that has a lot of traffic. And then on top of that, Jesus had these pesky disciples who kind of acted like bouncers, you know? I think they liked being the people who were important around, you know, the celebrity, Jesus. And they would puff out their chests, and they would act like gatekeepers, and I don't think it was easy to get through to Jesus unless the disciples let you through. And so Bartimaeus had to wonder, how do I get Jesus' attention today? And so what he decided to do was to go way down deep inside, to be in touch with his deepest desire, and to cry out to Jesus from that place. And that's what he does. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. But an interesting thing happened. 
The people around him were quite uncomfortable with his expression of his longing and desire. So the scriptures say that they tried to silence him. And I've wondered, why would they try to do that? Didn't they want him to be healed? Didn't they care? Why were they being so unloving to him on that day? And as I've looked at the story, I've wondered, well, maybe they were just a little bit jealous. Maybe they thought, well, I have something I want. I have something I need. Why didn't I think to cry out to Jesus in this way? Now he's going to get the attention that I'd like to get. So maybe there was a little jealousy going on with them. Another possibility is that they were just plain uncomfortable. Have you ever been around someone who was in such grief or in such pain or in such need that they, we they wept or they wailed or they were really raw in their expression of grief? Or maybe they were someone who was socially challenged and didn't know the rules, you know? And so they were crying out and acting weird in a social situation and you just want to distance yourself from that and say, this is too uncomfortable, would you just please stop? So I wonder if there was some of that going on too. There was a discomfort that this man was crying out in such a raw, vulnerable, and human way. But whatever was going on for them, Bartimaeus was undeterred. And it says that he reached down even deeper into his desire and he cried out even louder and he said, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the scriptures tell us that Jesus was totally arrested by his cry that Jesus stopped, he stood still in the middle of the road, and he said to his disciples, tell that man to come here. And so the disciples came to the blind man, and they said, take heart, get up, he's calling you. And of course, that's a great moment in anybody's life, when we have a sense that Jesus is calling us. And then, it says that he sprang up, and he threw off his cloak, and he came to Jesus. Now, this is an interesting part of the story. I have a little bit of trouble with it because what I see here is Bartimaeus being willing to throw off any encumbrance, anything that would keep him from running to Jesus, open and vulnerable and able to receive. Some Bible commentaries believe that his outer garment actually had seams and pockets in it that held the money that he got from begging. And so his cloak actually represented his security. It, it represented the material wealth that he had right then at that time. Other commentators believe that maybe it was an overgarment and the undergarments underneath were like the underwear that we wear today. Or maybe there was nothing on underneath it at all. It was just an outer garment. And that for him to throw off his cloak was for him to throw off his dignity, was for him to throw off um, anything that he, he used to make himself feel, you know, like he had his dignity. And he was throwing off even this and was willing to come running to Jesus, open and receptive and needy and naked and vulnerable. Well, I don't know about you, but I like to maintain my dignity at all times and in all ways. And so the idea of throwing off everything that makes one feel dignified and coming to Jesus with my rawness and my neediness and my human vulnerability is actually quite challenging. But Bartimaeus was so in touch with his desire, he was ready to go. And so he came to Jesus, and they met in the middle of the road. And this is the pivot point in the story, isn't it? They are face to face now, and Jesus says to Bartimaeus, what is it you want me to do for you? Wow. The Lord of the universe saying, what is it you want me to do for you? And so I ask you today, if you were to be face to face with Jesus today, and he were to ask you the question, what do you want me to do for you? would you have any sort of answer? Would it be sort of the superficial things that you have a desire for? Or are you in touch enough with your own soul that you could speak something from that part of who you are? This is the pivot point in the story. 
Because at this point, the story changes, and this question, what is it you want me to do for you, and Bartimaeus' willingness to speak it in Jesus' presence actually opens up huge opportunity, huge space for Jesus to come in and to do something extraordinary in his life. Now, if I'd been Bartimaeus, I might have wanted to say to Jesus, are you kidding me? Are we going to talk about that right here? This is such a public place, and that's a very personal question. Could we like, go over there and talk about this in private? And if Bartimaeus had felt that way, he would have been right on a level, right? Because it is really a personal thing to ask someone to speak of their deepest desires, that place where what they want has not yet been achieved. That takes us to a place of vulnerability and neediness and maybe even a feeling of impotence that we haven't been able to accomplish for ourselves what we most want and what we most need. But Jesus is doing it right out there in the open, and Bartimaeus answers him, and it opens up a space, number one, for Jesus to meet him and do his healing work, which Jesus does. In this passage, Jesus heals him right away, immediately. A couple of the other New Testament stories, there are different outcomes, but in this story, Jesus meets him and heals him, and the, the blind man receives his sight. So anytime we can actually own our desire in Jesus' presence and speak to God honestly from that place, there's the potential for God to do something for us that we haven't been able to do for ourselves and that no one has been able to do for ourselves. That's a very intimate place with Jesus. It's a willingness to go further in our relationship to interact with him in, in that way. But then the other thing that happens is actually the very last phrase in the passage. Jesus says to him, go, your faith has made you well. But Bartimaeus doesn't go. Bartimaeus actually stays. It says that Bartimaeus uh, follows Jesus on the way. Why is that, do you think? Well, I think it's because Bartimaeus now didn't have a life. You know, if you are a sighted person, you can't sit on a street corner and beg and expect people to give you money, right? Bartimaeus only knew how to live as a blind man. He didn't know how to live as a sighted person. He didn't know how to live as a healed whole person. And so he realized, I can't go back to the life that I have been living. I need Jesus to show me a new way. It says he followed Jesus on the way. And so this willingness to be with Jesus, with his desire, and to let Jesus come into that place with his healing presence actually also creates an invitation to find a new way of life that's different, that's better, that's oriented around health and wholeness and healing rather than oriented around brokenness and blindness. And I believe that this is what happens for us as well. That when we are able to own our desire in Jesus' presence, not only does Jesus come in with his healing presence, but there's the potential for us to actually arrange our lives for what it is we say we really want. When your soul is able to speak of what you want, that is the truest part of you. When you are able to open up to God in that place and to... Um, express your spiritual desire, that is more real than anything else about you. It's more real than your sinfulness. It's more real than your woundedness. It's more real than any job title or role that you play, any success that you've achieved, any failure that you've experienced. It is more true than any relationship that you allow to define you. You know, some of us define ourselves as a husband or a wife or a mother or a father or something like that, but that's not even as real as your ability to open up to God and to long for God and to commune with God in that place. That is the soul of you, and that's the part of you that will go on after your body goes into the ground. It's the part of you that existed in God before he brought you forth in physical form. And so when we're able to speak from this place, we are speaking truly. And Jesus longs to enter into that place and to lead us in a life-giving way.
I believe that is what Bartimaeus experienced. And then what we find is that God's out there ahead of us when it comes to desire. We love God because he loves us. We long for God because he longs for us. And God has already created spiritual practices. We might call them sacred rhythms. God has already uh, developed and offered to us practices that actually correspond to our desires. So the spiritual practice of solitude and silence corresponds to our longing for peace corresponds to our longing for a beyond words experience of God's presence, that deep sense of belonging that can come to us in solitude and silence. The practice of engaging in prayer with words, the conversation of communication and also communion, that corresponds to our longing for friendship with God. And friendship takes place in communication, right? In communication and being together. And prayer corresponds to that deep human desire. The practice of reflecting on scripture corresponds to our desire for a word from the Lord that is personal to us today. The spiritual practice of honoring our bodies corresponds to our desire to receive life in our body as the gift that it is. You know, Jesus took the incarnational journey from being a spiritual person, a spiritual being, to a human being. And that's our journey as well. We are spiritual beings trying to figure out what it means to be human and to live this gift the best that we can. The practice of self-examination corresponds to our desire to transform and to change. The practice of discernment corresponds to our desire to be led by God rather than to be led merely by human wisdom. The practice of Sabbath-keeping corresponds to our desire to establish a sane rhythm of work and rest. How many of you are tired today? How many of you are longing for rest? Yes. Sabbath-keeping is what helps us to live into that desire. And the practice of having sacred rhythms or a rule of life is a practice that corresponds to our deep desire for a way of life that works, a way of life that keeps us open to God's transforming work, a way of life that satisfies our deep spiritual longing with the presence of God. So isn't it exciting that here we have these desires that have been placed within us, that God has placed there, and that God is out ahead of that desire already having offered up practices that will meet us in that place. And I know that Kim is getting ready to lead you on a journey into some of these sacred rhythms, and I pray that you will be brave and you'll strike out on that journey with her. Um, And in the meantime, stay in touch with your desire because we don't enter into sacred rhythms because we want to be a better Christian. We don't enter into sacred rhythms because we want to make brownie points with God. We enter into sacred rhythms because we long for the more. And because God has given us ways to actually enter in to the more. Let us be like Bartimaeus, willing to follow Jesus in the life-giving way. So as we conclude and close our time together today, I'd like to do a prayerful reading of the scripture that we've been referring to throughout this message. Um, I invite you to close your eyes. I invite you to even open your hands if you'd like, if that's a comfortable way of showing God how open you are to him. And as we enter into this passage prayerfully, I'm going to invite you to do two things. One is to find yourself in this story, to let yourself sit on the side of that road, to let yourself be in touch with your own desire, to imagine yourself crying out to God for the more that you're longing for. I invite you to envision yourself encountering Jesus in the middle of that busy corner. I invite you to hear Jesus speak to you the question, what do you want me to do for you? And then secondly, as we move through this story, I invite you to interact with Jesus. As you hear Jesus talking to you, respond to him. 
Tell him the truth of your heart. See how he comes to meet you. See how he heals you. And listen to the ways in which he is inviting you to follow him in some new way. Let's enter into this scripture passage together. They came to Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout and to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet. Who are the voices telling you to be quiet today? How do you silence yourself? But Bartimaeus cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, what would you need to throw off today in order to come running to Jesus? Throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The Lord of the universe saying to you, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, my teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, go. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and followed Jesus on the way. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of David, have mercy on us today. Give us the courage to stand with you in the middle of the road of our own lives, as busy as it is, and to say something true to you about our desire. Let us hear your question deep in our own souls. What do you want me to do for you? And give us the courage to speak from that place to let you in, to let you heal us, and then help us to follow you on a new and life-giving and faith-filled way. Lord, in your mercy, hear the prayers of your people today. Amen. Seven months ago, I sat in a room alone at a retreat center, no television, no computer, no phone, settling in for the night after Ruth had just asked that question and placed us right there in the middle of the story. And as I prayed, I heard God asking me that question. 
Kim, what is it that you want me to do for you? That was a sleepless night as layer by layer desire would emerge and God would peel it back until I got to the core. And what God had shown me that night was that somehow in the midst of this amazing gift of ministry, this amazing family that I had, that I had become a human doing and I had ceased to be a human being. I become so defined by the work and the different roles in my life. And it was in that place that the desire emerged and I said, God, I just want to find my identity fully in you. I wanna find myself fully in you and nothing else. And God has been so faithful through his presence, through the Holy Spirit, through community, which is a necessary part of this process of transformation to bring me into a place of greater healing and wholeness, to remind me that it's okay for me to be a human being and to sit still in the presence of God and that right there, no matter what I do, if I'm doing nothing but just being present, that I am loved. So today, I want you all to take a minute and just pull out your cell phones. Will you do that with me? Will you just pull out your cell phone right now? And if God has stirred something in your heart this morning and you feel what you believe might be the inkling of a desire and you wanna grow in your relationship with God, the theme of this series is greater than, and this morning, if you've missed it, is this idea that being there, being closer to Jesus is greater than being where we are right now, that we wanna always be moving closer to Jesus. So if God has stirred something in your heart this morning, we're gonna be putting together some groups to work through this book, Sacred Rhythms, this resource that Ruth has developed. There's a DVD of the book. The DVD are, are both available in the lobby as well as a number of other resources. But text Parkview to 41411. Parkview to 41411 and we'll be reaching out to you over the next couple weeks to help you take next steps and help you get connected in one of these groups if you feel this longing to order your life so that you may be more open to God. Can we just take a minute and thank Ruth for the journey that she's brought us on this morning. Thank you so much for joining us, Ruth. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Ruth has a grandchild that is due um, at any moment, really, like they could be now. It could be a few days from now. We're going to pray for a few days from now. Um, she spent all day yesterday working on a book that she's currently writing. And in addition to that, she'll leave here today to go lead another community for the next three days in growing in their relationship with God. And yet she was generous to come visit us this morning. So thank you so much, Ruth. Join us next week as we dive in deeper to community. But right now, Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you are good to give us desires. Desires that are from you, desires that are of you. And I thank you, God, that 
growing in our relationship with you doesn't mean that you pluck us out of our everyday life. As a matter of fact, God, it means that you help us to live more in your presence in the everyday ordinary. So God, we pray that you would help us to experience these sacred rhythms, these tools of your grace that we might grow in relationship with you. God, I pray that you would give us each the courage to think hard about that question that you're asking us. What is it that you want me to do for you? God, I pray that as you reveal those desires to each of us, that you would give us the courage to take our next steps towards you. God, we thank you and we praise you that we get to be a part of your church and that we get to be in relationship with you. God, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you have a great week. If you need additional prayer, please feel free to come down front. Until then, have a good week. We'll see you.